Hello again, and welcome to the GC Call. This is a podcast where we're bringing to you from Golf Capital, the leading alternative investment firm in emerging markets from North Africa to Southeast Asia. I'm Alvaro Bella, Managing Director in the Private Equity Team. I'm Nabil Ismail, Executive Director in the Private Equity Team. In addition to our own expertise, you will hear from other regional investors, entrepreneurs, and management, as well as advisors who participate in the overall process to demystify it together. Alvaro, as you're leading us today, Let's bring on our guest. Sure. Today, we're sitting down with Christopher Rose, who's a partner with Dentons, one of the largest law firms in the world with over 200 offices across 80 countries. Chris is a partner in the corporate and M&A private equity practice and also the Europe head of the Dentons family office and high net worth group. So that's a wide range of expertise he brings to this episode. We'll be talking to them about what the capital markets look like over the next 12 to 18 months, as well as what is needed to negotiate transactions in these let's say, tumultuous times. He has 20 years of experience exclusive in venture and growth with over 200 deals across both developed and emerging markets. 250 deals, but who's counting? Nice. (laughs) Happy to be here, Alvaro and Nabil. Thank you for inviting me. Obviously, it's a a much rougher market out there. We've seen uh, uh, deals being renegotiated, you know, uh, valuations being uh, not I would say decimated, you know, as in Stripe, et cetera. So um, it is a tough, tough market out there. However, deals are still being done. And uh, uh, what we want to talk about is how you negotiate those deals. What are the basics? At the end of the day, the tool set for negotiating deals, and let's start with a term sheet uh, of negotiating a deal. The tool set is still going to be the same. So maybe, you know, what is what is your approach um, and what is some of the things that uh, you guys focus on. When looking at the terms for a term sheet, I always go back to Brad Feld, who's the founder of Techstars. He wrote a great book called uh, Venture Deals, Be Smarter Than Your Lawyer or and Venture Capitalist. And he said the two key terms, really the themes here are economics and control. Everything else is just ancillary. Uh, when you see people approaching ancillary issues and taking a day to negotiate, then you know they're going in the wrong direction. He says, stick with these two topics. So if we start stripping those those two topics, let's start with economics. What are the main dimensions or the main elements there? Well, obviously you're going to start with price and I'll, I'll kick over to you for that. But really then you get into liquidation preference, which is a key term in any venture deal. Uh, then you'll have other terms like anti-dilution on the economic side. Okay. So definitely as investors, we tend to focus a lot on price that, you know, looking at how you enter enter a deal and the price uh, you pay at entry vis-a-vis what you exit, it does define your returns. So obviously, we're as investors, we're very, very focused on that. And there's that old adage, you know, that you set the valuation, I'll set the terms. So how in this current environment, when when prices are coming down, or, you know, uh, let's say founders and uh, other shareholders around the table with a new round being raised, uh, have a certain valuation expectations. How do you bridge the gap with uh, the other, the either economic or the control terms as well? Often it depends on what stage of the business we're talking about. On the earlier side, and I think that's beyond the scope, you'll see people kick the can on, on valuation by using a safe or similar instrument so you don't have to nail down valuation. But in a fixed price round, um, you'll see negotiation around the liquidation preference. Um, and let me explain that for those who don't know this concept very well. The liquidation preference gives an investor, um, you know, what? It lets, typically it's 1x in a market like this, it could be higher. 
it guarantees them that the first money out will be the money they put in. And then um, the proceeds would, 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 would be shared with the common. But in liquidation preference, it's an either or typically because it all depends on what the participation is. There's two types, participating preferred and non-participating preferred. For non-participating preferred, you either get your money back or you get pro rata. For participating, it's you get your cake and eat it too. You get your money back and you get to share pro rata with the, with the common shareholders. And right now, you're seeing, beginning to see more negotiations around how much you get back. Do you get 1x? Do you get 2x? And ultimately, you may even see what you saw in 2008 with uh, requests for participating where people want their cake and eat it too. Yeah, I, th I think maybe starting with the valuation side because we didn't touch a lot on it. Um, it. It depends on, again, where where we are in the stage of, of the company. But a lot of times what you see is at least nowadays people start asking for more earnouts, uh, start push deferred consideration, let me pay, uh, pay some sort of upside at a later stage. And then at the uh, at the forefront on the liquidation discussion, We've we've started seeing you know more warrants. When you start talking about some of the things you did about earnouts, we're talking about a buyout scenario. Correct. Um, and and in a company where you have a late late stage, you have a buyout scenario, um, and um, you may issue warrants, for example, which means the right to purchase additional shares at this current valuation price as a sweetener to your investors to come in and fund in this round. Oftentimes there are a lot of internal rounds going on around the world right now. Yeah. Other investors are on the sidelines. What happens is if 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 there are down rounds, the big concern is that the founders get diluted so far that there's no longer an incentive for them. So you're seeing at the same time you're having discussions about down rounds and valuations is how to still continue to keep the founders motivated. Now, it's a fine line. You don't want to reward them for 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 a bad, you know, for for you know, for a bad situation in the company. On the other side of the coin, people were beginning to understand that the situation's not all on their shoulders. If you had a business plan, you had a run rate, and now it's harder to raise money, well, we're going to have to do more with less. But how do you keep them involved? You don't want them to to drop the keys you know, and get and get on the plane and, and, and leave. You're seeing that already in some instances, right? So we've heard rumblings of of companies where the management team have bolted or have you know left, uh, and there's a big disagreement between uh, the management team, the founders, and uh, the shareholders and or the board. And I think in times of crisis is where you really need to come together as a company through the board with the shareholders and together with with the team. As you said, obviously it depends greatly on uh, the shareholders and the board's trust in that team to execute through these tough times. So talking about those control mechanisms uh, that we, you mentioned, Chris, um, as you said, most of the times now you have uh, internal rounds being done um, as a way to bridge into a more sustainable path for the companies that are actually able to make it on the other side of the tunnel. Yes. Um, and and, and in, in those rounds, I think investors are realizing that they, you know, for these companies, they have to take a, a firmer control of the steering wheel. I mean, a lot of these deals were done with more of a hands-off approach. You had your veto rights, you had your board seat, and you let management get on with it. But during tougher times, you start taking inventory of the entire company. Do we have the right people leading it? You're seeing CEOs and others replaced. 
um, and you're seeing additional veto rights or other um, requests being added to, to ensure that the investors really have full visibility and more day-to-day -day control, maybe not control with a capital C, but certainly uh, a better way to direct the affairs of the company. Uh, in addition, as a price that will be paid for them putting more money into this company. What are some of those additional rights that you're seeing? Well, I think, you know, I think there are enhancements sometimes to the drag. What What is a drag? A drag is the ability to compel other shareholders to sell along with you in a deal to a third party. Um, otherwise, you'd be in a situation where you could sell only your shares. Let's say you're a 30%, 40% shareholder, but you couldn't compel the sale of the entire business. And um, in, in, in the best of times, this was usually done as a combination. The approval process was, you know, a majority of the shares, including majority of the preferred or some combination that includes, you know, the founders, includes the ordinary, as well as other shareholders. Now you may see, you know, the investors saying, well, listen, we want to push this button ourselves or with maybe another like-minded investor. And sorry, founder, um, you know, you're going to have to trust us on this one. You know, in uh, many of the sectors that we're invested, whether it's financial services, healthcare, automotive, et cetera, uh, whereas before we were looking for growth opportunities via acquisitions, um, the expectations there were very high. And what are, what are sort of the expectations? What are you seeing now, Nabil? And how does that play into, you know, this trend of potentially gaining into a consolidation wave? You, you see valuations drop significantly. So whether you look at fintech, health tech, ed tech, many other uh, you know, businesses, uh, we've, we've seen obviously, you know, a lot of the shareholders are also pushing both in private and public markets. So the comps have significantly gone down. But I mean, just a carve out uh, un until now, at least the GCC region is still doing phenomenally well. So we're, we're in a place that so far, you know, the, it's been a bit more insulated, uh, so we're still seeing valuation hold up. Uh, many of the other emerging markets, we've seen those numbers significantly go down. So remember back in the days when we were trying to enter some markets such as Egypt, uh, we'd see the the cost of just acquisition is so high that we decide that organic growth and just one year of waiting and creating that type of business makes a lot more sense. But today, obviously, many companies and many founders are running into trouble that, you know, they, they just don't have enough runway for growth. And we've seen that with many companies either going bust or uh, having to scramble and find someone uh, to consolidate with. So the opportunity is definitely, you know, uh, out there. And I, I think anyone investing in, in this year's vintage and next year's vintage will do extremely well. Provided that they have that runway that we were talking about, Absolutely. which is basically measured in cash. Yeah. Cash, again, will now become king again. It's always been king. <laughs> That's true. What you're seeing is, at least in other markets specifically, companies that were fortunate enough to get funded just before things started turning or sitting on cash while their co competitors were running out. And so they're using this as an opportunity to consolidate, using their own shares um, as consideration to bring these people on board. Now, the question you're always going to ask yourself is, will they create an industry leader? Or is it a bunch of stones grabbing onto each other, hoping they'll float? Um, so it, it's yet to be seen, but that's the type of consolidation you had in, at least in, in, in various tech segments, you had multiple players going at it at once, a very disaggregated market. And you're, you're, you're going to see industry you know, champions come up. Um, and that's, I think, in, with, with, with venture and private equity, holding back a little bit to see where valuations go, I think they're going to bet on whoever you know, these market leaders will be rather, and see how it plays out Game of Thrones style.
<laughs> provided that the unit economics obviously like makes sense because a lot of these industries unit economics were extremely horrible and everyone was bidding you know on on social media spending a lot of money unnecessarily yeah if we build they will come is the expression you're absolutely right you no know, but i think the valuations even for those champions are dropping people are starting to think it's a little bit more realistic but they're also looking at companies that you know will really make money or making money now as it, as opposed to someday maybe we will What do you see will is changing as well from a control perspective, board composition, board matters, etc. You know, as a way to also provide additional uh, protection or, or protective provisions for the shareholders. I don't think necessarily the protective provisions are changing that much. If it's well negotiated at the beginning, a typical investor coming in will have a whole laundry list. Um, I do th- see uh, in certain circumstances the ability enhanced ability to remove management and replace management uh, is key. In some deals, uh, I think you may see what you saw back in 2008 where uh, a investor wants the ability to name the CFO or put a financial controller in so they have better control of the proceeds. Um, and in, and related to that is the, just the idea of when money comes in, is it coming in in one go or is it being tranched based on the satisfaction of certain milestones or KPIs? That you can definitely expect to see uh, and you're already starting to see. Um, so it's not so much on on the voting, it's, it's really uh, on the leadership of the company, the management of the company and how money is being spent. And, and are you seeing that there, there are changes in management besides, you know, like well, I'm, I'm referring more here around founders being CEOs. So are you seeing founders being let go off? And- it's a different skill set, two things. There's always different skill sets. Founders who create companies aren't often the best to lead a mature company. Right. And in a down, in a, in a difficult market, sometimes you need a wartime concierge. You need someone who can really understand who's been there through the tough times and do it. And, and a lot of founders, nearly all founders under a certain age have not seen bad times. So I think that you know the best of them will will will, will have learned and will roll the punches. But I think that's where you know you either uh, supplement management, you replace you know maybe that's when the COO comes in. You get a better CFO, or the uh, founder moves to to the board and stays on the board, and you bring a new CEO in. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's better CEO or the CEO appropriate for that specific better stage of maturity well of the business. Well said. I mean, we 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 have throughout history. Uh, even phenomenal examples of that, right? So Steve Jobs was actually replaced. He was kicked out of his own company. Um, and then he came back. But he came uh, back. But he came back, yeah. But he got Jack Dorsey, same thing. You know, he was uh, out, not ousted, but moved, sorry, to chairman. Um, and then he came back. So there, I think there's been many instances where uh, what you were saying, the wartime CEO, the guy who needs to steer the ship through very choppy waters, which is what we're going to go through now, uh, is not the same person that is only focused on growth and expansion. It could be a different set of uh, skills. And by the way, that's not only in the venture side, that's also, you know, in mature companies, we're seeing it also in businesses where, where um, you know, are very established uh, and that suddenly need to run into, into trouble. And, and founders that have that maturity to let go are going to do really well. And some founders aren't just any good. Um, that they they were successful despite themselves, and the, and the investors immediately, um, you know, you know, battle it out with them from the very beginning. So um, that honeymoon period for anyone that did not work well with their investor is over during a tough time. And I think that is where the tough conversations will happen. That's where a lot of the companies will go down too. 
their marriages they were marriages of convenience and when 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 the tough times come um they just don't have what it takes I want to focus on a little bit more on those provisions, protective provisions for shareholders, you know, in, in tough times. So, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit at the beginning of the differences between this cycle and potentially recession. So vis-a-vis the 2008 global financial crisis or the 2001 dot-com blow up, et cetera. Let's talk about some of those other sort of provisions that, that give shareholders uh, a little bit more protection, like, you know, full ratchet. Uh, and others. Ooh, full ratchet. No, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Um, and I think here you will see so, so many of these provisions from, from 2008 starting to come. Um, we already talked about tranching. I think that's very important. Ratchets, uh, if you don't know what a ratchet is, a ratchet um, allows people to um, push, uh, kick the can on, on valuation. So in a ratchet, you would be able to agree on valuation now. And then perhaps a year from now or some further look you know, ahead, um, you would reevaluate your shareholdings and the valuation of your shares and potentially you know, be issued or be transferred additional shares. So that way you could settle a valuation discussion now. Um, in terms of anti-dilution, um, anti-dilution protection is, is used to help an investor. Again, it's valuation related. Um, no investor wants to be in a situation where they're investing at one valuation and then six months, a year later, year and a half later, uh, there's a down round and, um, and they take the brunt of the dilution. So anti-dilution is intended to top up uh, investors to some extent. But even the way it's topped up varies depending over the last several years, last 10 years, it's been what we call weighted average share price anti-dilution. What Alvaro, you were just mentioning is full ratchet. That is, you know, that's Armageddon. That means if there's a down round in your founder, if there's a down round, and it, the price of the shares of the investor who has this full ratchet protection will be adjusted to the new price, which, and who does that come out of? Well, it comes out of typically the ordinary, it comes out of the other shareholders. Um, and so I have not seen that yet on a deal, but it will be coming. I think one of the other points we're going to talk about is also from our point of view, majority versus minority and i think you talked a little bit about that before you know are we are we in the venture space or are we in the growth space or are we actually in the buyout pe space and fundamentally negotiating those deals is 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 based on also different goals when you're looking at a venture deal you typically have a founder that is looking to bring in venture capitalists uh, other investors for a longer time frame Whereas in a buyout deal, you know, you have a founder or a family or whoever is the seller that wants to um, achieve a very specific goal over a limited time frame. And frankly, in what we're where we are today, we're probably going to be seeing much longer holding periods, specifically in venture capital, for those firms to really get to an exit. So, so looking at those differences in terms of negotiating the deal. Uh, what would the, be the things that you would focus on, you know, more if you're trying to negotiate with different shareholders like in venture style firms or when you're looking at really just bilateral negotiations on the private equity side? Well, I mean, private equity in most markets, I mean, really is is a form of exit for these founders. So they keep significant um stake in the business, the founders, that is um, completely different than what we're talking about uh, in venture capital, which is the beginning of a journey. 
Um, again, depending on when the investor comes in, this could be the first institutional investor that that the, that the company has, has ever had. Or if we're talking about later rounds, they've already, you know, they would have already had some level of institution. Um, but it's very relationship-oriented venture capital. And I think when you see people from an investment banking background or or, or even in the law and MA background, they're approaching it as a sort of a zero-sum game. I win, you lose, you lose, I win. And in venture, it is more collaborative. It has to be. And what you're trying to do is set the basis for the relationship in the shareholders agreement. You're trying to, you know, set the expectations, everyone. You're, you know, those veto rights that you negotiate in the protective provisions, you know, hopefully you really don't have to use them. You're going to get to consensus on, on issues because you have uh, developed trust and you believe in the business. And also you have a long-term plan that you agree together. I always encourage anyone who's investing in a company to really take a good, spend good time developing the business plan and what things will look like in the next few years because it helps with the meeting of the minds. But again, that whole nature of what you do as a venture capital uh, investor uh, in, in, in whether it's early stage or, or mid is much different than the buyout phase. And that's a great point. You know, you had mentioned uh, Brad Feld's book. I like to mention another book, Bill Draper's book, The Startup Game. Um, actually, talks about how uh, collaborative at the beginning the venture capital industry was in the U.S. That was in the '50s and '60s. Started in Silicon Valley and also in the East Coast. You know, Corridor I-28 in Boston, etc. And they were really trying to uh, to collaborate between the different investment firms to take to be able to grow the business and that's really what you're trying to do also and um actually in his book bill draper talks about how bill uh, draper international then went on to india and they started doing investments in india in uh, in the late 1990s and how they were focusing also on that sort of collaborative approach Actually, you know, uh, uh, having been in, in venture capital um, uh, over the last, uh, well, now seven, eight years, you know, that was basically the, 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 the ethos in many cases, many of the venture firms here in the region as well, as a way to move forward. Um, and, uh, and you need to have those uh, provisions that uh, help collaborate between the shareholders. And it's not just the provisions. I mean, venture is more than money. Um, what you're supposed any good investors bring more to the table. They're bringing their network. They're bringing their experience. They're a partner, and and it's just not about the money. And so maybe when the tougher times come, they become a closer partner. That's how it should be. They become a closer partner to help you through this. Um, you know your industry. This is your business, but we have you know the other areas of expertise which can, which can add value. Um, and you know the shareholders agreement should remind people of their obligations. But if you keep running back that shareholders agreement, something's going wrong in this business. These, this should be being dealt with at the board level with through conversations. Um, and that collaborative approach will be crucial when, 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 when it gets really tough. And we actually say that all the time, that once yeah. you need to take out the shareholders agreement from your cupboard, basically the relationship is, is, is pretty much at an end. You have a cupboard? Uh, we have a cupboard, yeah. We still have one of those still with those. paper stuff, you know. Wow. Papers, business papers, <laughs> but 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 actually, I wanted to touch on that key point that you mentioned. It's a partnership, Nabil. Um, you know, we have a special sort of recipe for for how we understand partnership. Can you talk about some of those examples of you know how we see the partnership being rolled out here specifically? Yeah, we we talked about this as you know ventures typically. Uh, at least in the region, th this whole industry is relatively new. So there's a lot of, you know, unclarity when it comes to 
what venture does, what PE does, because a lot of times, you know, uh, unless you're in the tech space, most of the venture deals are not there at all. Uh, so um, you're 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 looking at PEs, basically even getting into much much smaller deals that typically you would not see in the West. So uh, we we've done enough buy and build. We've you know partnered with founders from the very early stages and. Uh, Basically, we've built up companies, and that's something that's very different than a lot of PE shops out there. So we like directly work with founders from the beginning because most of the times when you're discussing with discussing it with them, fortunately slash unfortunately, it's the first institution they're dealing with. So it's a, a very you know hard, long education uh, that you need to work with your founder and explain to them the value of you know working with an institution like ourselves, how we can you know uh, provide value, uh, add whether this is coming from organic and inorganic growth. But more importantly, the first thing that we've done in one of our portfolio companies was we sat with our founder from day one and told him this is the vision. Let's agree on it, and it's good. An exit is going to happen in the next, you know, uh, four to five years. This is these are the venues, and these are the geographies and products that we're going to put in place. So the founders have been extremely, you know, supportive. Uh, in fact, that founder specifically, basically, uh, had a board meeting with us, with us not even signing the SHA, which is completely weird. I mean, we're technically not board members, but we're sitting with him. I think table. it speaks to that uh, uh, close relationship that you build over the negotiating the deal, negotiating not only the deal, but as you said, the journey that you have signed up for together with with uh, with the founder. And that's, I think, more typical of, of private equity. Whereas in uh, the venture capital deals, the, time, the moment you have more people sitting around the table, it's more of a committee, you know, managing by committee and 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 making sure that in many cases, uh, yes, it's the founder that is driving the ship, but there has to be a board. And I think David Friedberg uh, of the the production board, an ex Googler, he he had this great quote, which is, you know, being a board member is not just signing on on the docusigns, the the electronic signatures. You really have to be, uh, you really have to do your homework. You have to show up prepared, be able to support, as you were saying, Chris. You know, it's about your Rolodex, but it's about in making introductions in key customer relationships, or maybe in the regulatory uh, sense. You know, um, being an investment firm that uh, we have uh, transacted here in numerous occasions for the last decade and a half. Obviously, we've built a relationship of that the, that Rolodex of relationships you're talking about, Chris. Not only in the business side, but also on the regulatory side with financial institutions. So we see we see that as as a key part of that support that you were talking about in bringing to companies. So ability to help them with additional financing, or you know, optimizing the capital structure, or or even helping in increase in bringing in uh, entering new markets, whether it's through acquisitions, as you were talking about, Nabil, or uh, putting together JVs. We've done that in the past as well. I think those are those are those are key differentiators. Um, as an investor, whether you're a private equity investor or whether you're a venture investor, you have to really understand what is the value add that you bring to the business. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to also add to that. You know, a lot of VCs that we see in the region, they've you've probably have I don't know over a hundred now. More than half of them are followers, and whenever you're following, and especially like much much smaller tickets, 
unless you're really gonna, as you mentioned earlier, provide a, a very specific value add, founders are very, very um, like, uh, they, they, they look basically at that specific value add that's coming from that specific VC uh, religiously now, just because you're in a downturn, it's, it's very important to see who's actually rolling up their sleeves and who's actually helping. Because we've gone through this in one of our portfolio companies, and yes, we tend to lead in some of these rounds, but a lot of the other VCs, unfortunately, were not uh, you know, as supportive. Yeah, let me jump on that, because I think it's a key uh, distinction between private equity or buyout private equity and, um, and venture. You know, private equity, you know, it's, you're the institutional investor, you come in, it's you, it's you're, you're leading the show here and you have hands-on approach. It's, you're managing the business. Um, in venture situations, the whole nature of it is round by round by round, you're part of a syndicate of investors, all coming in potentially at different prices. And so when you have a, you know, when, when, when valuations start dropping, that's all great when, when it's going up and up and up and everyone's yeah. aligned, we all get out together, kumbaya. But when you when you're having down round scenarios, or when you get to the talk of when people want to get out, and different institutional investors, different funds have different investment horizons. Yep. So what happens when you know someone who came in earlier at a much lower price than you is pushing to get out, or and or does not want to put any more money in, and you're the later investor, and you still need this company to grow? There's you don't have alignment of interest among the investors themselves, and that is becoming very problematic in internal rounds. Um, and, and, and let's also look at the practicality of it. If you wanted to do an internal round tomorrow, you can't, you have to get everyone aligned. There's probably gonna be changes to a shareholders agreement that everyone has to agree to, or a large percentage. So even if you want to be nimble, even if you're not talking outside money, you still have to negotiate with your fellow investors and the company now to get to the point where everyone's in agreement where you're going forward. You don't have that problem in private equity. I think also Gulf Capital, you guys are in a more unique position, having been and continued to be a, a private equity investor who knows how to manage a business as compared to a lot of earlier stage venture investors who have never controlled a business, who have never, who do not have a team on Rolodex that they can bring and parachute in and solve these problems or have all these resources. So there is an interesting dynamic that's playing out in markets right now where everyone had always been going in an up market. And they never had to see what happens when it starts crumbling a bit and who has the expertise to fix it. So that's a great segue. We're coming to the end of this uh, episode, talking a little bit about you know trends and uh, what, what we see will happen uh, in some of these negotiations, you know, difficult negotiations for some of these businesses that uh, are maybe ending up on rough waters, as we were saying. Obviously, the support, as we were talking about, Chris, uh, and what you were saying is, is going to be paramount to be able to, to help those businesses across into a more sustainable path. But what other things do you see apart from, you know, being able to put together internal rounds with the shareholders? What other th things do you see as focus? Well, I think one thing we didn't touch on is, is when it gets really bad, when you talk about recapitalizations and reorganizations of these business, um, you'll, you'll see a lot of cram down situations where Earlier investors or other investors, if they don't participate, you know, they get their shares converted to um, to ordinary or to a, or a lower class of shares. It starts getting pretty ugly in you know, depending where the market goes. But in other terms, in day to day terms, I th again, I think we already talked about tranching and, and ratchets um, and greater control of management. 
Um, I think it will be probably firmer control on exits um, to ensure that, um, as we said, um, that there's the ability to drag or at least um, to um, push it, uh, the uh, an exit sooner if, if, if at the time of the investor's choice, not at the company's choice. When it comes to founders, it's very important for founders to understand, you know, what they're getting into from from day one. So whether they're uh, if if it's still very early days for them and they're still contemplating PE versus v, uh, VC. And if, if they're trying to bring in investors, especially in, in, in these markets, uh, if it's the first time, it's completely different. It's very useful for them to understand the difference. But once they're in, um, I definitely think it's very important to take action relatively quickly. Like investors, you know, like-minded investors to think uh, alike and understand that ultimately, if you need to parachute a new management in, then do it sooner rather than later. Don't wait for for uh, everyone to come uh, come around because most of the time you're always late. A hundred percent. I think there there's that uh, other quote as well. You know, I think nobody ever said, "I think I fired that guy too soon." Yeah. Right. It's always been uh, a, a case of being <laughs> too late. So I, I, this has been a great episode. I think as a summary, you know, we we talked about um, uh, the support needed uh, in tough times making sure you're carrying your investors, but also the founder and making sure the founders uh, and the founding team is incentivized because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and uh, we we definitely see a lot of opportunity also from a consolidation perspective uh, in terms of um, uh, of, of uh, the next vintage and what, what uh, 2023 will bring. So, in spite of, let's say, some of those dark clouds ahead, we're, we're still optimistic. And what dark clouds are in the GCC? <laughs> yeah, I think we can leave it at that. Chris, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you Abby, for having thank me. You. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the GC Call with me, Alvaro Bella and Nabil Ismail. The GC Call is brought to you by Golf Capital and is produced by Amaya Media. You can follow the show in your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Angami, Pocket Cast, and all the others too. And we'll be back again in a couple of weeks.